0: Good morning. Once again, we're glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. I'm glad he clarified that we wouldn't be digging with post hole diggers or we wouldn't have a single man show up for the work day on Saturday. Uh, Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Philippians chapter four. That's where we're going to be finishing up this morning. We'll get there in a moment. But before we do, I wanted to uh, address something first. Sometimes one of the hardest things that we face in life is figuring out where to start. Have you ever been faced with a circumstance, a task or a job so big or so difficult that you couldn't even begin to figure out where to start? Another way at looking at this would be coming into a situation or a conversation totally lost. Have you ever walked into a room in mid conversation you've got no idea or not a clue what what's going on or what what's going on in this conversation you're just totally lost in in what's going on uh, another one last way of kind of thinking about this situation would be uh for for you or parents if you had uh, a small child or when your child was young and you sent them to their first day of pre-K If the teacher uh, started teaching them advanced trigonometry, they would be totally lost. It would be like they were speaking another language. There'd be no context for them to understand what's going on. And we, we find ourselves in these types of situations. And there's a point that I want to make with these examples before we get into Philippians this morning. And that point is... That one of the issues that we face when studying God's word in a group setting like this is that we're all in different places in our life. We're in different uh, levels of maturity in our walk with Christ. In fact, there's uh, more than likely someone here or maybe multiple people here this morning who have no relationship with Christ whatsoever. So when we come into a conversation or into a passage of the Bible and we don't know who it's speaking to or what it's speaking about, we can get lost. And this uh, can present a problem when it comes to the Bible because if you come to a passage that was written to non-believers but you're a Christian and receive that as a word to you, you may find yourself Lost and confused. How many of you have been in church long enough that you are in services where the same group of people come forward every Sunday to receive Christ? They get saved over and over and over. I was, uh, I don't know if you say beneficiary or, or a victim of that type of understanding as I was a child. I can't tell you how many times I came to the Lord when I was a child. Over and over and over. I don't think I got it yet. I'm going to come back again. And what I was doing is I was receiving a word that was to the lost for myself again. And I was confused. I didn't understand. And the same can happen if you come to the Bible for a word of comfort or seeking after God, but you're not a believer. You can come to a scripture that's written to believers and try to claim it for yourself and for your own. And that's a promise that you're going to hold on to. But if you're not in a relationship with Christ, then that word doesn't apply to you yet. You can't start there. You have to start with Christ. And so while I was thinking about this issue, a picture came to my mind and I want to talk to the kids for a moment. Look at this picture and tell me what that is. Monopoly. Yeah, they know. This is a Monopoly board game. And there's a big red go that you see right there. That's where you start. You can't start anywhere else on the board. That's where the game has to begin. And our Christian walk is the same. There's a a starting place. And games are kind of simple in this way, aren't they? They have rule books and instructions that outline how to play and tell us what the rules are. And just like Monopoly, the rule book will always tell you where to start. In a lot of ways, playing a game of Monopoly is similar to our lives Uh, When you play a game with your family, uh, there's going to be rules to follow. Laughter is going to be had fun and enjoyment. There's also going to be arguments and tears shed. I don't think there's a a family game that's ever been played uh, at some point in our in our uh, development of each of our families that some tears weren't shed. It's part of life. But at least you knew where to start and when the game was over. Most of the time, our life just isn't that simple. Instead, we find ourselves in these places where we feel lost and confused. So before we jump into Philippians, I want to point out two things. First of all, that Philippians is a letter written from the Apostle Paul, who was a Christian and a believer, to Christians at the church in Philippi. So it was from a Christian to Christians. So if you're not in that category in a follower of Christ, the promises made, the challenges given and even the promise of peace and joy that we find here don't apply to you. You have to start with Christ first. They can be for you, but you don't get to start here. That brings me back to this question of where do we start? Where is the big red go in our Christian walk? The author, C.S. Lewis, did an excellent job of making this clear in his book, Mere Christianity. It's an excellent book. And if you've never read it or if it's been years since you've read it, I would encourage you to pick it up. In the first few chapters, Lewis makes a very good observation on where to start with Christianity. He points out for us where that big red go is. And I want to share a short passage from you uh, with you, and it'll be up on the screen so you can read along. Lewis writes Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing, as far as I know, to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of and who do not feel that they need any forgiveness. It is after you have realized that there's a real moral law. And a power behind the law. And that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power. It's after all this and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk. I love how clear he makes it here. Forgiveness in a relationship with God come only after you realize God is real. He has made the rules and we've broken them. And only at that point and not a moment sooner can you even begin to think about starting. And then he goes on. When you know you are sick, you will listen to the doctor. When you have realized that our position is nearly desperate, you will begin to understand what the Christians are talking about. They tell you how the demands of this law, which you and I cannot meet, have been met. On our behalf, how God himself becomes a man to save men from the disapproval of God. The Christian religion is in the long run a thing of unspeakable comfort, but it does not begin in comfort. It begins in the dismay I have been describing, and it is no use at all trying to go onto the comfort without first going through that dismay. I think this paints a clear picture why so many are disillusioned today with Christianity or how we're deceived in our walk. It's because they don't know where they are on the board. They skipped go and thought they could pick up the game in the middle. But when it didn't work out like they thought it would, they quit playing the game and they walked away. What they didn't understand is they never really started playing. The only way to start is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But first you have to realize, apart from Him, you're dead. You don't need help. You don't need advice. You don't need to be rescued. You're dead and you need to be made alive. That's where we start. And there's no shortcuts. There's no cheating. I told the the first uh, service this morning about playing Monopoly with my cousins growing up, and we found out one day that uh, they had hidden money in the bathroom. So anytime they got low on funds, they excused themselves and came back with fistfuls of money, and they were back in the game. They'd found a way to cheat. They'd found a way around the rules, but in the game of life, in the game of Christianity, there is no way to cheat. It can't be done. There's there's no way you'll get away with it. There's only one way, and His name is Jesus Christ. So we have to come to Philippians realizing that it's written to those who are no longer dead in their sins. They're alive in Christ. They're new creations. And it won't make any sense, and you can't apply it to your life unless you are alive in Christ as well. And if you're not sure if you have a relationship with Christ this morning, you'll have an opportunity this morning to... Uh, to start that relationship before the service is over. But for now, we're going to jump into Philippians and knowing where we're starting. Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine and eleven through thirteen. We'll start with verse four. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Delight, take pleasure in him. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit, your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance and patience be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious or worried about anything. But in everything, in every circumstance... Every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. And the peace of God, that, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, will be yours. Remember, Paul's writing this whole letter from a prison cell. We find him here close to the end of this letter starting to wrap up his thoughts. And he's giving this command to Christians in Philippi. And he's saying, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. When? When do we rejoice? Do we do it sometimes? Do we do it when we feel like it? Or when everything is going our way? No, he says rejoice always. And again, I'll say rejoice. But how easy it would have been for Paul to be down to be depressed, to be defeated in this moment in prison. And who would have blamed him? But that isn't who he is. And that isn't who the Philippian Christians were. They were new creations in Christ. And they didn't find their joy in their circumstances. They found their joy in Christ. Then Paul adds, not to be anxious or worried about anything. About nothing. Don't worry about anything. Everything that Paul is saying to the Philippians is counterintuitive to our human nature. It's the opposite of what we would do in our own strength and in our own abilities, in our own wisdom. And that's because God doesn't work through our abilities and our wisdom. So instead of being anxious about anything, what does Paul say to do? He says to pray. In every circumstance, in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, take your requests to God. When we ignore that command to pray, to take our worries, to take our anxieties to Him, what we're really saying with our actions is that we don't need God. We don't believe He's going to answer our prayers. We can't trust Him, so we're going to rely on our own efforts, on our own ability, on our own strength. Because if we did believe Him we would go to him first in prayer. One of the things I love about God is that he cares for us, even the little things. Uh, I want to share two quick examples with you this morning about some things that were important to our family, but in the big scheme of things, they would be pretty little. But it was still God answering and hearing prayers. Uh, When Allison was little, I think she was about three years old, she had a, a stuffed lamb, and his name was Bobo. And that was like the pet, you know, that she'd carried around everywhere, slept with him, and all that kind of stuff. And, well, she had lost Bobo. And we didn't know where he was. And so it had been, I don't know, four or five days that Bobo had been gone. Allison was still upset. And so Candy was praying in her quiet time and she prayed for Bobo. And you can pray to God in everything, in every circumstance, in every situation. So you can pray about Bobo if you need to. And so she did, and what God said, she just heard a very clear voice that said, look behind the piano. And we would looked everywhere. We thought we had looked everywhere. But so she stands up, walks to the piano, looks behind, and lo and behold, there's Boa. She picks him up, gives him back to Allison. And then at, we, we don't know where it came from, but Allison's response is, Papa Rawl put him there. So like, I don't know why, why he did it, but that wasn't my doing. I didn't, I didn't put Boa back there. But so we found Boba, we found her, her lamb and we still have them, still have them today. The second thing was just literally just happened the last couple of weeks. Candy had lost an earring that I had given her as a gift and uh, that it was on a Sunday, I think two weeks ago, Sunday, and uh, she had come to church. She did children's that morning. Uh, she exercised at the house, she went to HEB, we took a mile and a half walk that we took two different routes, so that was like a three mile walk, and it wasn't until that evening that we found out that the earring was gone, so it could have been anywhere, and so we looked in the house, checked the church, all that, and it wasn't coming up, and I literally prayed uh, about Bobo, I said, God, you knew where Bobo was, you know where this earring is, and you can find it, and I I trust you. I didn't worry about it. I didn't uh, probably different to maybe some sometimes I've reacted in the past. I didn't tell Kenny, "How could you lose this?" Or How you know, I didn't go off. I was just like okay, you know, if it, you know if it's gone, it's gone. If God wants to let us find it, we'll find it. And um, so it was the next day, and Alice and I were going to go on a walk, and I'd prayed. I said, "Lord, if it's out here, let us find it." And uh, so, and I told Allison to start off the walk. I was like, we're going to find, or we're going to look for mommy's earring. So we start going and I'm looking all over, you know, just panning the street and the asphalt, trying to see if I can see it anywhere. And Allison is just like laser focused on like a three inch wide thing. And she's just walking, looking down. And I literally almost told her, you know, you're looking wrong you gotta you know it could be anywhere you gotta look all over you're not gonna see it if you're just looking but i was just like no i'm gonna leave it alone she's looking i'll look right you know i'll be the one to <laughs> i'll be the one to find it and so and she was kind of lagging behind me too so she was a few feet behind so i walk past an area and then i hear allison say is this it and i look back and i'm like okay and so i come back to where she was and like in a hole that had dirt on it and the earring shiny side facing down. There's the earring. And I mean, it could have been anywhere, but she would pick it up. And sure enough, it was that earring and God used her to find it. He, he showed it to her, but he answered that prayer. And, and it's great when he answers the prayers the way we want him to, but oftentimes it's not the way we hope or the way we think it's going to turn out. And I could give you a much longer list of prayers that I've prayed that did not get answered the way that I wanted them to or the way that I hoped that they would. And I can list some things of my own that I've lost that I've prayed for that I never found. You know, we we find their stuff, but not not mine. (laughs) Thanks, God. (laughs) But it's in those situations and in these examples that then we come to verse 7 and know that it still applies. Verse 7, the peace of God that passes, the, I'm sorry, the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus was mine. Even in the time that he didn't answer it the way I wanted it to, he gave me his peace. And it was okay. And in these situations, had we not found it, we would have had his peace. It would have been okay. Even though it doesn't work out the way we want it to, God gives his peace and he's with us in that circumstance. It's after doing those things, it's after we pray and we seek him and we take all of our requests to him and we leave them at his feet, it's after doing those things that God's peace comes And it's also in the context of believers. We have to remember who this was written to. You can't have the peace of God without first coming to Christ. It's like C.S. Lewis said, you can't get to the comfort without going through the dismay first. But I've said it over and over throughout this series on Philippians that we misunderstand trials and sufferings God never promised Christ never promised that we wouldn't suffer that we wouldn't have trials Paul's writing this letter and telling us to rejoice from prison it doesn't mean it's all good it doesn't mean we don't have problems what Christ says and what God says is you'll have my peace in the midst of it. The real miracle, God could take away every problem and make your life easy from the day you accept Christ. And then you could be happy and and life would be easy. That would be an easier route to take. The real miracle is that God can say you can go through anything any circumstance, any situation, and I'm going to be with you and you can have joy in it and you can rejoice in it and people will will marvel in your ability to go through those things because I'm there with you. That's the miracle of Christ. That's the miracle where He can take us through those things, not, not around them or not avoid them, but through those things and say, I'm enough for you. I will be with you. I will be your peace. Paul was a Holy Spirit-filled, totally sold-out believer in Christ, and he was suffering in prison. It doesn't take you out of the circumstance. It doesn't take you out of the situations. It's Christ present with you in them. And Paul's confidence was in Christ. The circumstance didn't matter. He wasn't even worried about death. We read in chapter 1 that he confidently proclaimed, for him to live was Christ and to die was gain. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, it was going to be okay because he was with Christ. Then in verse 8, Paul gives us some practical ways to stay in God's peace. Verse 8, and you'll see it on the screen, he says, Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there's any Excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in daily life, and the God who is the source of peace and well being will be with you. Once again Paul points out that the beginning at the beginning of verse eight that he's writing to believers And he goes on to say, constantly keep your thoughts and minds on what's true, what's honorable, right, pure. And the list goes on and on. He's saying, practice these things in your daily life. And God, who's the source of peace and well-being, will be with you. He will guard your heart and your mind. And you can have peace and not worry and not have anxiety in every situation, in every circumstance. There's a Christian psychotherapist named uh, Deborah Bumbau. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her right, name right. But she found in her study that when we practice what God is speaking through the Apostle Paul in Philippians, that our physical minds can literally be renewed. She stated, we're seeing that what we think about actually grows neural networks. The more we think about something, the more we grow that neural connection. So God created our minds, our physical brain, literally to rewire itself on what we set our mind on. So when we make a practice of thinking on these things, turning to God in prayer for everything and rejoicing in God, we'll have his peace. He's going to literally renew your mind. We get to choose what we think on. It's a matter of choice. We decide. What we set our mind on. There was a story I came across during my study of a young lady who was in college and she was very bright and intelligent. She was a Christian and she wanted to volunteer at a, at a Christian girls camp as a counselor. So she volunteered and they accepted her and she got to camp. But rather than being assigned as a counselor, she got assigned kitchen duty. And she was in the kitchen and helping prepare meals and she was, uh, peeling potatoes. I think that's like punishment in the army (laughs) you know this wasn't what she planned on this is what wasn't what she signed up for well the the leader of the camp kind of heard about the situation and she came and she was apologetic to the young girl and she says it's too bad that a young woman of your education should have to peel potatoes but the girl looked up brightly and this was her response but miss baldwin remember I don't have to think about potatoes while I'm peeling them. She knew she could set her mind on whatever she wanted to. She could be doing whatever task had been given to her, but set her mind on Christ, set her things on the things above. How often do we find ourselves in those circumstances? And all we do is we look at the negative. We focus on everything that's wrong. We say, God, how could you put me in this situation? That girl could have said, do they know who I am? You know how much experience I have as a you know freshman or sophomore in college. You know I, I know everything, <laughs> but they put me here in the kitchen. No, but think about the maturity level that that young lady had at that age. She really could have helped out some of those young ladies, but God was teaching her something in that situation, and she rose to the occasion. And we can do the same. We can set our minds on Christ and the things that are lovely and pure and wholesome regardless of our circumstance. That's how Paul could have joy and rejoice and command the Philippians to rejoice from a prison cell. And in verse 11 he says, Not that I speak from any personal need, for I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or uneasy regardless of my circumstance. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need. So what is that secret? Let's look at verse 13. I can do all things which He has called me to do through Him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill His purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through Him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Paul really wraps it all up here in chapter 4 in just a few verses. He's saying, In any and every circumstance, I'm good because I'm in Christ. Anything He calls me to do, I can do because He's going to provide for it. He strengthens me. He empowers me. He is my sufficiency. Everything comes from Christ. Jesus Himself backs up Paul and uh, what he's saying. Yeah. Several phones. Uh oh. What is that? Amber alert. <laughs> I'll give y'all a second. <laughs> We know who we can count on in an emergency. <laughs> or, uh, I turned mine off. I, I, I got tired of getting woke up at 3 a.m. by then, and I am like, uh, <laughs> I'll hear it on the radio. <laughs> so Jesus himself backs up what Paul's saying in John 15, verse 5. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So Paul said, In Christ I can do everything. Jesus says, Apart from me you can do nothing. And in John 14, 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will they do because I'm going to the Father. Notice again the very important fact that Jesus was talking to believers. These things don't apply if we didn't start out in the right first place in the go for Christianity. Realizing that we're dead in sin, that apart from Christ, we can't do anything. So Jesus promised in Him we can do everything, and apart from Him we can do nothing. But remember, Paul made it very clear that it's not about fulfilling our fleshly desires and our wants and our ambitions. It wasn't about that. Paul said, I can do all things which He has called me to do. When we come to Christ, we die to ourselves and we come alive, but alive to Him. Alive to His will, to His ambition, to His desires. And we lay ours down. And what God is going to do is He's going to do what He has set in place to accomplish and what He has called you to do. And when you're in line with His will, then, Paul says... I can do all things because he strengthens me. He empowers me to fulfill his purpose, not my purpose. Paul laid his purpose down. And then he says, I'm self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Paul wasn't after fame or fortune. He was after accomplishing what Christ had called him to do. And he's called all of us to do something. He's given all of us a gift, all of us a a spiritual gift, a place that we have influence, people in our lives, our children, everyone that he has put us in to encounter, we can do what he has called us to do in that situation, and he will empower us, he will give us the words, he'll give us the ability to do what he has called us to do. Paul was about fulfilling Christ's Purpose. It was all about Christ, not about Paul. As we close this morning, I just want to share one more of these moments where God just kind of confirms that He hears you. One of those little things that just says, "Okay, so you do see these little things. You do see where we are." And it it happened this this week as I was preparing for this me- message. It was on Wednesday. I was reading and preparing for this, and it read through Philippians chapter four again. And I was just praying and asking God, what what are we supposed to focus on? What what are we supposed to look at this week in Philippians 4? And I looked on my desk and there was a copy of the daily devotional, Jesus Calling. And I don't know if any of you have seen that or read that. It's, it's a daily devotional kind of written from Christ's perspective, like he's talking to you. And about three or three or four years ago, I had probably read that on a daily basis for about two years. But in the last two or so years, I haven't picked it up at all there's one more (laughs) somebody's late uh but so i hadn't been reading it daily it's not a current daily devotional for me but i just looked over and saw it and just felt this like god was saying pick it up read today's date so this is wednesday january 17th and you can read it along with me it says come to me with a thankful heart so that you can enjoy my presence this is the day that i have made I want you to rejoice today, refusing to worry about tomorrow. Search for all that I have prepared for you, anticipating blessings and accepting difficulties as they come. I can weave miracles into the most mundane day if you keep your focus on me. Come to me with all your needs, knowing that my glorious riches are a more than adequate supply. Stay in continual communication with me so that you can live above your circumstances, even while you're in the midst of them. Present your request to me with thanksgiving, and my peace, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds. That sound familiar? And then it ended with these two scriptures, Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 and verse 19. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus I thought it was neat how just being directed to such a small thing, but it was exactly what I had just read in my Bible and on my computer screen. And I flipped around the rest of the month and ahead and nothing else was on Philippians. And it was like, God was like, no, I, I know where you're at. <laughs> I know what you're, what you're looking at, what you're doing, when and where. And I can, just like that, that devotional said of that day, I can come into a mundane day and show you a little miracle if you're watching for me if you're keeping your heart and mind on me, if you're focusing on those things above and not on all the negative things, if you're bringing every thought, every anxious worry to me in prayer first and thanksgiving, then I'll bring the peace that surpasses all understanding. And you can go through any situation, any circumstance, with the peace that God provides, that only He can provide We can live in that peace that surpasses understanding every single day of our lives. First of all, again, this whole book of the Bible is written to believers. So that's the first step. You have to come to Christ first. But if you're in Christ, you can walk in his peace. Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, My peace I give you. Everything's from God. We have his righteousness in Christ. That's how we can come into the throne room of God to pray, because he covers us with his righteousness, he gives us his peace, he gives us his strength, he gives us his sufficiency. We can do nothing apart from him, but in him you can do everything that he's called you to do. Amen. Well this morning the prayer teams are going to come forward uh, and if you have anything that you are anxious about today, anything you're worried about, they would love to pray with you and agree with you. Uh, in those prayer needs, and you can take them to the Lord this morning. And if you don't know Christ this morning, if you question whether or not you have a relationship with Him or not, they would love to pray with you about that as well. We've got a book that they would love to give you called Ten Steps Toward Christ that would get you uh, on a great start toward that walk with Christ. There's also copies in the foyer that are free that anybody can pick up, whether it's for yourself or to give someone else. Uh, you You can do that. But we want to come to Him this morning with all of those things and lay them at His feet so that we can be in His peace and in His sufficiency. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank You. We thank You for who You are. We thank You for everything that You've done, that You've made a way, that You've provided a way in every circumstance. And whether You answer the way that we think You should or not, if we take all of our requests to you and lay them at your feet in faith, you will give us peace. You will be with us in every circumstance, in every situation, and we can have that peace that surpasses all understanding. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You never have, and you never will, and we thank you for that. Lord, I just pray that you would use us in every situation that we find ourselves in to be witnesses, to be lights in the world to those around us, that they would know they would know that there's a reason for our joy. There's a reason we can rejoice when things are are difficult because we have Christ and He's with us in every situation and in every circumstance. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to com.